Oh, that's not what I wanted. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> well, it's there now, so we're going to leave it. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> oh, this has got to keep going on now. You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. You're fired. Listen, you you even had an opportunity had you actually introed properly i might have gone back and just edited that so that it was the proper intro but now it has to stay and it's hysterical because of it why have i put up with you for 228 episodes you know what's funny i actually we were talking about the um our anniversary is coming up for our gaming podcast it's gonna be six years our anniversary just passed for our movie podcast that was three years I actually hadn't checked this one. I, I couldn't remember when it was. So I decided just to check it just now. And that was August 4th. Five years. Congratulations, buddy. Wow. So, yeah. Time flies when you're working with Idiots. a cranky old man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, folks, welcome to issue 229 coming to you on September 1st. I've actually been waiting a while to talk about this comic. It's been on like my to-do list for a while. I keep forgetting about it for some stupid reason. <laughs> and then a new issue comes out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we need to talk about that. So this week we're talking about Low. It's from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Greg Tokini. And as with many other comics we've been discussing lately, the art in this series is just phenomenal. It's very abstract with a lot of the bizarre designs Tokini has going on. But my goodness, it is gorgeous. I had a couple issues with it, not anything too serious, obviously, and I'm sure mm-hmm. a lot of it was quite possibly direction from Remedier as well. But some of it I was like, eh, and especially some of the early stuff too, like the anatomy of the people was kind of yeah, off. It, I, going, I, it got better as it went on. I yeah, feel. really. And uh, so, yeah, it was just kind of a little off. And, and it falls into the old trope of everybody has to be beautiful people. You know, like, there's no way in hell that Unless woman Unless you're a bad guy, kids. then you're allowed to be ugly. Yeah. <laughs> and fat. And, and this dude is, like, in his 50s, still has a six-pack abs, and I'm going, come on. It's the future, Raj. No, there's no future where this, where, where eating muffins <laughs> with icing on top doesn't give you this that I'm poking at now. <laughs> <laughs> if there is... I can dream of that future. Oh, we can dream all we want. I'm just saying that ain't going to (laughs) happen. Yes, uh, we're taking a look at the first six issues, which is collected in their first volume titled The Delirium of Hope. What we have here is some point in the future of maybe Earth. They're not really too particular about it. I don't think it really matters for the overall story. But it does. Does Uh, it matter uh, if it's Earth or some other planet? It matters because they don't establish that right away. What's funny is that as of late, I've been watching a whole bunch more of, you know, different Star Talk kind of shows and whatnot, because mm-hmm. I've always loved that. But there's some pretty good ones out right now, too. And that's actually something that came up 
in in one of them where they were talking, yeah, the earth is going to eventually be swallowed up and here's how it's going to happen. Here's when we kind of think it may happen and all that. And so as I'm reading this, I'm going, oh, this is cool. This is fitting right into all this stuff that I, I've been reading or listening to or whatever. And it was interesting. And then all of a sudden you get like talking fish people. And that's when I went, eh, okay, I guess it's time for a break. <laughs> 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 I, I was going to go to sleep anyways. Once you hit <laughs> talking f- sharks, it's like, yeah, it's nap time. <laughs> Todd, talking sharks is like peak time as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Again, if it had been established early on mm-hmm. that this is an alternate earth and because there's no way in hell that there's any evolution that could possibly happen in this time frame or anything that would lead to talking fish. They're already among the oldest creatures on the planet, and they've kind of hit their peak as the greatest killing machines in the ocean. So they don't need to evolve to be able to talk and get tattoos on their arms. <laughs> that, that, that's not needed. Not needed, but welcomed as far as I'm concerned. And, and again, I'm going to go right back to what I said. Had yeah. it had been established earlier, then yeah, it would have been <laughs> freaking awesome. <laughs> it, it works. But it was so much of a... Uh, you get to that point, it was like, oh, come on. What the, I was I was in for the realism of it, and which is apparently shot to hell. So they, I found that aspect just a little bit disappointing. All right, fair enough. But anyway, the human civilization has been driven down to the depths of the ocean because the surface world has been rendered unlivable due to radiation from the sun, and you know, who knows what the heck else went on up there. The story revolves around a family called the Canes. There's the father, Yol, the mother, Stell, the two daughters, Tahoe and Della, and the son, Merrick. One thing I liked, especially reading through these first six issues, is how it took a long time for the story to settle into who exactly the main character is supposed to be. Because we've read so many comics, you know, we assume the powerful father figure, he's going to be the main character, just due to genre conventions. Spoiler alert, he's killed off in the first issue. And then we bounce around between, is it Merrick? Is it Stell? Before we finally settle in that by the end of this first story arc, it's the mother that's really the central character in the story. And I kind of like that. I liked it a lot, though. I wasn't surprised at all. Between Reminder's intro, where he talks about mm-hmm. hope, and then you, you're reading in. And I will say that was, I found that disappointing as well. There's way too many references to her being hopeful. Like, way too many. It gets to the point where you're like, okay, she would get on my nerves. <laughs> I don't care if you're trying to save us. Stop it, for Christ's sake. And it's just constantly referenced. So I knew right from the get-go, like, she's the main character right there. See, I figured she was, again, my conception of it. Like A, a lot of it isn't due to her as a character, just what I'm so used to from reading yeah. so many yeah, comics. Yeah. So I, I like that he kind of started with the story following in that trend, but went his own way with it. And once you get to the end, it's like, of course, she's been the most important character in the story from beginning to end. Exactly, yeah. So yes, uh, Yol is a huntsman, a you know powerful sailor. Uh, he has access to a legendary helm suit, a weapon of incredible power that only his genetic bloodline can pilot. As we said, Stell, the mother, is very optimistic. Uh, they tied it in with some sort of religion that they have here, quantumology. It's never really well defined. It's just kind of a nebulous concept uh, at this point in the story. Actually, but no, she... it's based on reality. 
Really? Eventually, Tom Cruise takes over Scientology and he oh, changes the name. He kind of tries to jazz it up. <laughs> I thought you were going to be educational for a moment. I, sh- I should have known otherwise. Uh, okay, go on. <laughs> See what happens when we record before I take a nap. <laughs> and she's obsessed with uh, finding a new home for humanity. Uh, she believes that there's still habitable planets out there that should be found, but everybody else is more concerned with just making the most of what's left of their lives underwater because resources are running thin. Uh, you have the two daughters who definitely follow in their father's footsteps. They're adventurous. They're explorers. They really want to get out there and do things. And then you have Merrick who takes after his mother. You know, he's much more thoughtful and interested in keeping things running and helping out those around him. So at, at the beginning, we get a nice little family dynamic, which should be clue number one that Reminder's going to fuck it all yeah. up. So, yeah, as I said, by the end of the first issue, the family is out on an adventure. They get attacked by pirates. Their leader, Roln. Can we get some letters in these names, please? Yeah. <laughs> Roln takes the helm suit for himself, uh, popping out Yol's eye and eventually, you know, wounding him enough that he dies and kidnaps the two girls, leaving Stell adrift at sea all by herself, which is where in the second issue we get a time jump to 10 years ahead where... Yeah, uh, Merrick didn't handle this too well. <laughs> but I like the way that it, I, I like the way that it was presented, how it was handled. I mean, mm-hmm. it's within reason. It, Remender really took a page from Saga here for style to a certain degree, the content and the manner in which it's presented, all kinds of different stuff. And while I don't have a problem with you know, some of the adult content that's in here, there were certain times where you're going like, this was, this is like the gratuitous sex scene in a movie that is so not needed. And there was a bunch of that. Like the, the stuff early on with the couple in bed, it was like, yeah, or bed, it was a freaking puddle of water. They sleep in a <laughs> pond. <laughs> it was comfortable though. And, uh, but that like made sense. And it was, you know, they worked. Mm-hmm. The the orgy was kind of like, oh, this is stupid. And I, was, I'd say that was a bit overboard, but to an extent, I can understand wanting to use that to kind of even then. demonstrate the the debauchery and the the where civilization has gotten out. The the scene itself might have been a little overdone, but conceptually, I'm not against it. I, again, I wasn't against it. It was just I personally did not think it fit. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just ludicrous. And but the scene where he's getting high. And while it kind of went a little too long kind of thing, it fit. And you see just how, like, he can't even have sex. Well, it's a sex with a hooker in this case, but he can't even have sex without needing to also get high. He's basically at a such a low point. So, and then even though he kind of has issues with the prostitute, it's enough that when he sh- shoots her that it's devastating to him so all of these things kind of really worked well for me i liked how it was presented yeah he's definitely brought out as he did not take you know the loss of his family well and we see he's become some sort of police officer who is just horribly corrupt and terrible at his job to the point where he gets arrested for murder and and, but yeah it's the jump from obviously the time jump but just to see that immediate change in the characters. Last time we saw him, you know, he was a young kid. He was 
you know, hopeful for his future. He was optimistic. And to go from that to there, I mean, when you're reading it in a collected edition in a period of a couple pages, it's really shocking. It, it worked to great effect, yes. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when they do that jump forward, I again, it, it depends on how it's done, but often it'll be like, oh, come on. It doesn't, it doesn't fit, and it's just for the sake of not having to explain how things got from A to B. But because of the way that it's presented here, where some of it is, boom, this is what happened, some of it is hinted at, and then there's other stuff that you have to wait to, to find out. So I, I kind of liked how it was handled. Mm-hmm. And it, also, I noticed on the second read through, like at the beginning when she's messing around with the probes and she says, oh, yeah, this will take 10 years to get here. It didn't even occur to me until my second reading that that was foreshadowing that there was going to be a time jump. Yeah. So Stell and Merrick uh, head off in search of this probe because said the, the city they live in is pretty much done like it's running out of resources uh the higher ups are basically just living out what's left of their lives in luxury and leaving everybody else to you know scrape for what's behind them but as we said stell is very optimistic refuses to give up and believes that she can still save everyone <sighs> this woman should never get in a submarine not after what happened in the first one <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> the, gotta be a the lesson second trip went even worse <laughs> so they didn't, they barely got out of sight of the city before they crashed into something. <laughs> the thing that I I don't want to say bothered me about her character, but that it kind of makes her interesting in one way and another kind of go, eh, because that eternal optimism is, it's way too much. Like there, you need some kind of a plan when you're going out. And if your plan is, we're just going to put these swimsuits on, go out for a swim and hope for the hope best. Hope for the best. <laughs> That's not a plan. And that demonstrates to me a complete lack of intelligence. So that's one of those things where you're trying to present her as an intelligent woman who's also extremely hopeful, but you can't, you, you got to work within the confines of what is realistic as well. And, mm-hmm. and going for a swim at those depths as well and hoping for the best, eh, I'm, I'm thinking not so smart. Well, I would assume their their suits are at least suitable for the depths. But like when I first read that scene, I was like, okay, you know, maybe it's a little outside of their realistic range that they could swim to. So she's really optimistic that if they push and they try real hard, they can make it. But no, this was like no humanly way possible that it, this would have been survivable without an incredible stroke of luck. Mm-hmm. And nearly the death of her son that she drugged to bring with her. <laughs> okay, well, that Mom of the Year award is shot to hell now. <laughs> and once they are finally safe, they find themselves in Paluma, the thought lost third city uh, of the underwater empire, I guess. It, they don't go too de- in depth into the, the, the structure here, but. Uh, in later issues, it starts building up. So there's definitely a plan for what all these cities and everything represents. Come to find out that this city has been conquered by the pirates. So, of course, luckily, I don't know, coincidentally, at the very least, Roln happens to be in charge here uh, with Tahoe, one of the lost daughters, as his daughter surrogate. It It's creepy and weird. Uh, prisoner. Let's just go with that. <laughs> now, full disclosure, this is a point where 
I actually didn't read from this point on. Not mm. because of choice, just because I was planning on reading through today. And as I told you earlier, it was an interesting day, so didn't get a chance. Right. But spoil away. I will finish reading it anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, again, great decisions. Uh, Estelle <laughs> can't keep her, her head down long enough to remain incognito and just basically immediately runs up and blows their c- <laughs> so her and Merrick are immediately jailed. And the last couple issues were actually really impressive from both a storytelling standpoint and artistically. Like these last couple issues, Takini really took off because, again, we get a small time jump forward of a couple months where Merrick has basically become a gladiator. And in these underwater battles against these giant sea creatures, it's gorgeous and it's it's a great scene, but we also get into a lot of the, the like the the social aspects of it of you know how Roland is governing these people. Spoiler alert: not well. <laughs> you you put a pirate in charge. This is kind of what you expect to get out of it. Uh, and Merrick obviously rises to being like the mythical hero figure out of the gladiator arena before he's killed off. So we have finally Tahoe coming to her senses destroying the entire freaking city by climbing into the helm suit. So now we have, just as we thought we were going to get some of the family together, Merrick has been killed, Tahoe has run off on her own, and Stell is left behind with a few of Merrick's gladiators. So what they did in this first story was they took this family, tore it apart, put it back together only to tear it apart again, but it shows a certain amount of really inspiring fortitude from Stell for me of, Yes, she may have that overly aggressive, optimistic streak, but there also is something to be said for not giving up in the face of multiple terrible circumstances. You need that for this type of story, this type of world. The type of world that he has built, it is far too easy to fall into, whether it's a depression or depravity or whatever you want to call it. And so you need her type of character, otherwise basically everybody else would have just given up kind of thing. So I, it would have been nice had there been just a few more people who were also still a little hopeful because <laughs> it's they make it seem like she is basically humanity's only hope. And I keep going back to, yeah, but she ain't the brightest. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> all right, really? Do you want to put all your eggs in this basket? Because some of them are a little cracked, let's be honest. <laughs> when I initially read through these six issues when they first came out, like I enjoyed it. Like It was fun. I, I liked the art. I was like, okay, it's a cool little world that Remender has set up here. It wasn't until issue seven came out a couple months ago. Uh, and what issue seven is, is it completely ignores just about everything that happened in the first six issues. And we actually pick up with Della, the second lost daughter, find out where she's been for the last 10 years. And the city she's living in and the socio-political aspects there and how it's vastly different from the other two cities we've now seen it really opened my eyes to the larger world that Reminder has designed with this series so now the last couple issues have been kind of bouncing around from character to character and city to city and I'm assuming it's all going to come together at some point but the way he expanded his story after this initial uh, volume has really grasped me and i'm now even more interested in it cool so i'd highly recommend anyone to check it out it's very creative again i really like the art style it's it's something different from what we've seen from remender for a while the the important thing to note because this is 
more of a family-oriented podcast. <laughs> I don't bleep out all of those swears for nothing. Is This is really an adult comic. It is not meant for kids. Yes, uh, absolutely. So uh, I'm actually interested to see what you'll, what you'll say once you've finished it up. Yeah, well, I'll have it finished by next week for sure. Uh, as for what else we've been reading, uh, I want to start off with Marvel Zombies. I'm absolutely loving this series. Like, like we said, this really has nothing to do with Marvel Zombies. It's basically just an Elsa Bloodstone comic. And the more we get into this and the character herself, ha- have you read the last couple? No, I actually haven't read any of them. Oh, man. She meets up with Deadpool at one point. Guess how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> but her out there dealing with the zombies and this weird little kid and getting more and more into, you know, her interactions with her father growing up and, you know, how she feels about him now, which is also pretty important. And then the ending of issue three was pretty damn cool. Mm. Um, I won't go into more detail than that. And then I actually have three DC comics to talk about this week. First of all, Gotham by Midnight continues to be a great comic. And the way they're ratcheting up the tension now, where obviously we have all this supernatural ridiculousness that's been breathing down their necks since issue one. But, you know, Corrigan continuing to lose control of the Spectre. Um, Drake and her issues with, you know, her banshee powers and all that but also rook and uh, internal affairs coming back and really putting the screws to the midnight crew like they're ratcheting up the tension like i was pissed when this latest issue was over i was like no 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 i need more of this story you can't stop there i actually missed the last one i haven't read the last one yet mm. uh, the next one real robin uh, have you read any of these i might have read the first one and that's it mm. i'm actually really liking the series it's a very different kind of spin on the uh, on the Batman and Gotham mythos. And again, it's just nice to see that the same thing I've talked about with like Nova and Miss Marvel, the main characters are just a bunch of kids that want to do good and continuing to build on, you know, what Batman means to Gotham. But Robin also means something because Robin's the one that helps Batman. And of course that would be the character that the kids kind of aspire to want to be. So I'm actually really liking this series. Cool. And then finally justice league. Uh, I talked about this uh, last, last month. I'm really enjoying this dark side war storyline. <laughs> I gave up uh, on it. I can't believe you're still reading that. I, it's because of the way Johns is handling the new gods characters. He's handling those characters really well. And the stuff that we see in this issue with Batman taking over Metron's chair, amazing. And a lot of it has to do with Jason Fabok is doing ridiculous artwork in this series. Like, I've seen stuff from him before that was good. This is some of the best I've seen out of DC in a long time. Really? The artwork is fantastic. Wow. And he's just telling a story with characters I like, and he's doing it well. Like, the larger story with, like, the anti-monitor and all that. Eh, but a lot of the smaller stuff he's doing with, you know, with Batman, with Wonder Woman, with uh, Mr. Miracle and Calabac and all those characters, I'm I'm really digging it. I'm very surprised because <laughs> I thought I was going to hate this. And uh, so the first issue I was kind of iffy on, but the second issue really grabbed me. And the third one, I'm kind of all in with it at this point. Hmm. OK, what have you got for us this week? Did you read the last Injustice? Indeed. This is the first and only time I have thought (laughs) 
Aquaman's Aquaman's a cool. badass. <laughs> I'm serious. I know that they've tried a lot, but I have never in my life thought that. This is the first time where I, I finished reading this and it was like, oh my God, that was awesome. <laughs> like, that was freaking cool. You know, Aquaman going up against Poseidon. <laughs> we need that like on a wallpaper to, to put on my computer screen. That was bloody awesome. And the entirety of this issue was just great. Like, I loved all of it. Not just the aspects, again, with the the, the old gods and everything else. But where that puts Superman, because he's a conniving bastard. And, well, let's be honest, he is. And uh, and what that means for for Diana at this point, too. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that he still is so self-righteous that he feels he can convince her that he's right kind of thing. So, and then the stuff with Batman early on as well. <laughs> Things like that. I love, whose line was it? Batgirl or was it Catwoman? Who said, so this is what death looks like or something along those lines when the big wave is mm-hmm. poised there to come down. And then the early stuff with Harley in the boat with oh, Shazam. God. It was like... Thank God she is somewhere in this comic still. I don't care if it's <laughs> hell. That's fine. I, as long as she's somewhere. That was awesome. I, mm-hmm. I freaking love this comic. It's unbelievable how much love I have for it. <laughs> it just... and, and how it stayed uh, so good with... Because let's be honest, over the course of their three years, or they're in year four now, right? It's been a while, yeah. Yeah. It, they've told a lot of oh, story. Yeah. But kept it fresh. Yeah. Not just fresh, but kept the momentum going. Mm-hmm. And you would think that that would have suffered to a certain degree. Nope, it didn't. Um, I have read some of the Sherlock's, but I'm actually going to wait um, maybe when you're back and cover them all. Because okay. uh, it was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Did you read the uh, latest Old Man Logie? Yes. <laughs> I love the banter with She Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> It's awesome. And Logan, not one for banter usually. <laughs> nope. Nope. And he's not. It's Jennifer. That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the, the, it's such a visual story. Like just the, just looking at it and then reading it after it's just so many parts of this were so well done conceptually that I absolutely love it, which is saying a lot because I have so much hatred for the event as a whole. Yeah. yeah. Did you read, uh, and I'll make this one my last one. Did you read The Last Invincible? Yeah. This is the first, I think, one ever where I finished and went, oh, that was all right. You know? And it, it was kind of like an in-between issue. Exactly. Like, uh, okay. They they had some setup to do. And uh, and then getting a little bit of history on the, the Battle Cat dude and whatnot. And, and what's going to be happening with old big bad <laughs> queen guy. <laughs> I, I swear to God, every time I see him, I keep thinking, we are the champions. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, it was kind of like, eh. it it, right, it's but... one of those things where we've come to expect so much from the comic. We're disappointed when an issue is just good. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to lie. I actually didn't think this was good per se. I just, mm-hmm. it, it, that's what I'm saying. It kind of finished it. Meh. Not that I thought it was bad, but I, I, it's a f- I probably the first one ever that I thought, well, it wasn't exactly good either, though. Hmm. So, 
But All right. it, it's setting up for yeah. something huge by the look of it. So it'll I, be I'll, there's cool. a lot coming down the exactly. pipe. Exactly. So that's that's good in and of itself. And I have enough faith in this that I'm. <laughs> I, I hope it doesn't go the Walking Dead route. And if it does, then Kirkman's dead to me. Dead to me. If it does, it made it a lot longer than The Walking there is Dead that. There is that. All right, I'm done. <laughs> All right. This week's new releases from Marvel. Are you ready for this one, Raj? Mm-hmm. Deadpool versus Thanos, number one. God. All right. <laughs> we also have the first issue of Figment 2. Uh, actually, really uh, interesting to see that that got a, a second follow-up. Uh, the first one was cool. I liked it, but I, I'm, I didn't know it sold that well, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, we have Future Imperfect number five, Groot number four, mm. Silk number seven, Spider Island, Star Lord and Kitty Pride, and Thor's, all with issue number three. On DC, we have Batman Beyond number four, as well as Detective Comics and Green Lantern number 44. From Image, we have The Dying of the Dead number three, Lazarus number 19, Plutonia number one, a Dang. cool new series from Jeff Lemire. So it looks like to be like an interesting kind of counterpoint to what he's doing on Descender. Cool. And Tales of Honor, Bread to Kill, number two. You read the first one and liked it, right, Raj? I'm sorry, what? The Tales of Honor? Yes. Yeah. I'm trying yes. to remember. Bread to that. Kill, number two, is out this week. I, cool. I did a little research. It's actually based on a series of novels. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And all else I saw this week is from IDW, your favorite comic, Roger, Gem and the Holograms, number six. All right. I, I, so, I challenge you to make me read one of those. <laughs> I, ha- I haven't even read one. <laughs> there you go. And that's going to wrap us up here for Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. I am taking next week off, but Roger has found a replacement. I'm just as interested in the rest of you in listening to that episode. So uh, who's joining you, Roger? It's going to be uh, Marty Gleason. He runs the All Comics Considered podcast, and I've listened to it. It's really good. He's really good at wrangling ferrets, like I said, like I am. So it'll be fun to do this together. Yeah, cool stuff. And uh, once I do come back, Roger is trying to do everything in his power to make me quit permanently. But oh, you'll have to wait until then to find out. Epic episode. <laughs> I, I think we should probably record it even a little bit later so that we can get good and liquored up before. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right, guys. Until next week. Thanks for listening. I'm not joking about that, by the way. <laughs> I think that's the only thing that'll make this passable. Not just while watching, but also while discussing it. (laughs) Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast.